Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Saturday, September the 2nd. And welcome to this little recap of some of the conversations that we had last week. We're going to share with you today some of those uh, bits and pieces uh, from last week. And we begin, we begin with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. We spoke with him on Monday and had an interesting conversation about what's happening in New York with all of those uh, migrants who are, as you can see them, you know, laying out in the streets of New York. So check out our chat with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, August the 28th. As we like to do on Mondays, we'll be chatting today with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Bill, welcome. Uh, Thank you. It was 110 on Saturday here in North Texas. I thought I would bring some some climate change into your life. Well, I you know <clears throat> uh, it's all it's all climate change. Everything is climate change. Um, I don't know what they're going to do now in Hawaii with the investigation into this horrible, really massive tragedy that I don't think Americans still do not grasp. What, how horrible that was, the number of casualties, we're still not sure. And again, politicize everything, politicize everything. First, blame global warming. And of course, that had nothing to do with that. Now it turns out that it probably, well, that's the allegedly, allegedly, that the uh, the local utility did not do what it was supposed to do, that the emergency services did not do what they were supposed to do. Uh, but the, the the constant obsession with climate change and I think many Americans are beginning to feel there's something suspicious about this whole climate right. change business. I yeah. certainly think they're feeling that way about electric cars. Well, that's right. And I think when every, everything in the world is about climate change, you do begin to wonder if there's a racket behind it. Yes. Because, you know, at, at some point, look, as I said before, I don't want to repeat myself. I'm open-minded about the topic. Give me some information. I'll listen to you. But when everything, you know, a forest fire, a fire in Hawaii, everything is climate change, you do begin to wonder if maybe this is not a racket. Speaking of politicizing things, uh, Bill, I just wanted to to mention this shooting down in Jacksonville. Now, horrible thing, of course. I mean, what what else can you say about it? But I thought it was interesting. Uh, I'm not 100% familiar with the story, but as I understand the shooter, had some mental health issues, and it still amazes me that the background check that they did or the people who sold him the gun, I'm assuming he bought it legally. If he bought it illegally, then, of course, it doesn't matter. But when he went to buy the gun, apparently there was not enough information on the file to deny him the gun. Obviously, this guy had mental problems. What was he doing with the gun bill? Well, that's the point, and apparently the background checks are not sufficient when it comes to mental illness. I know that when they were first established, there were people who felt liberals, by the way, not the NRA members, that there shouldn't be anything about mental health because it might discourage people from being treated, uh, and, and they, they didn't want anything on the record about their mental health. Well, that isn't much of an excuse. It really isn't. 
because I suspect that a number of the people who are involved in these horrible shootings do have mental problems that need to be treated. Well, I would agree. I think if anybody commits a crime like this, they probably have some mental health problems. I mean, it's not a normal human being that would behave in this fashion. So there's got to be some mental health uh, component to it. But it's a shame because had had there been more clear information in the file, he would have never been able to buy the gun. Now, again, they can always get them illegally. I understand that there's a black market. But it's more expensive, I would think, to have to get it illegally or more difficult, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Well, and a lot of people just want guns. Uh, they're perfectly entitled to have them. The Second Amendment is, is clear. Uh, some want it for protection. Uh, many, uh, many of the big cases surrounding the right to bear arms have actually originated with African-Americans wanting a greater access to weapons to protect their families. Uh, it's, a, it's a very complex issue because truth is hard to find. Truth is hard to find. In New York City, 95% of the gun deaths are African-Americans. It is a horrible tragedy in that, in that community, and nobody wants to talk about it. No. Nobody wants to talk about it. And what, what do you say about the Windy City of Chicago? I mean, oh. that's, that is awful there every weekend. I mean... It's, and a, very, it's, it's the weekend shooting gallery. That's it. And, and you often have a lot of children who are shot, who just happen to be in the wrong playground at the wrong, at the wrong time. Speaking of Chicago, the mayor, Bill, just a quick point. Uh, he, he is now blaming the company that manufactures automobiles oh, yes. <laughs> for, for the fact that they're stealing so many cars in his city. Isn't I mean, that... How, how can this man be serious? Well, he, he, he's not serious, and yet he was elected mayor over a very serious opponent who actually had some, some good ideas. Yes, he was blaming the, the city of Chicago is suing the Kia, which is South uh, Korean, and the Hyundai, which I believe is also South Korean, uh, automobile companies, on the grounds that, get this, their cars are too easy to steal, and therefore lure uh, uh, car thieves. I mean, the, the, talk about a man with a tin ear, right. you know? Uh, I would think a tin ear to his own community. Yes, I think Because so. not every car stolen in Chicago is owned by a white person. That's right. That's I mean, right. I, I would think that there are many black car owners who find their car stolen and must find this uh, explanation to be awfully silly, but that's, uh, that's a state of affairs, unfortunately, in many of these cities uh, run by these uh, really pretty bad, in my opinion, pretty bad. Uh, I'm not going to say bad Democrats because there's a lot of good Democrats. It's just some bad leadership that happens yes. to be running these cities. Bill, just a quick uh, reminder. It was 60 years ago today that uh, Reverend Martin Luther King gave that famous speech. I don't personally remember the speech. Do you have any memories of this day 60 years ago? <laughs> Well, I don't have any direct memories of it. I was not, uh, I, I, I was not there. Uh, it was a major national event. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, I, was, uh, I, was, I, was, I was in the Army <laughs> at, at Fort Dix, New Jersey, being trained. But it, it was a major event. No one had ever done anything quite like this before. There had been uh, one previous uh, uh, rally at the mall, uh, uh, 
led by African-Americans, which was in 1939 in honor of uh, Marian Anderson, who had been denied the right to sing in Constitution Hall by the Daughters of the American Revolution, and Eleanor Roosevelt arranged for her to sing on the mall. And the pictures are very similar. You see the, this huge crowd of African-Americans showing great respect for her and then showing great respect to Dr. King. I think, you know, listening to the speech and knowing the circumstances of the march, we, it tells us how much we lost when Dr. King was assassinated. He had the right idea, a multicultural movement, no one asking for special rights, just simply equal rights, the right to be treated equally, no gimmicks. Uh, 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 an appeal to uh, the Americanism in people. He he really was not only a great black American, he was a great American, and he understood America and understood the potential. Sadly, so much of that movement is gone. And, um, you know, there was a man in the 1950s uh, called the Longshoreman Philosopher. His name was Eric Hoffer, and he wrote something that uh, John McCain liked to quote. He said, all movements become businesses and then they become rackets. I'm sorry to say it because I think the civil rights movement is very important, but that movement is really at the racket stage right now. It's one gimmick after another. Uh, a lot of uh, leaders who don't do a thing for their communities. Uh, you, you watch news programs, uh, including the uh, programs on, on networks that are presumably pro-civil rights, you never actually see ordinary African-Americans interviewed. You never see a black mother who's lost a child interviewed. You never see black folks asked about what kind of schools they want for their children. It's always the leaders who seem to be interviewed. I get the feeling the leaders are all mostly selected by the press. Uh, and we, we really, I think, have lost the humanity of the civil rights movement. It has become really in a business, a business and, and a racket where a certain number of people gain, but the great majority of African-Americans really don't gain anything. Hey, that's our friend. Well, sorry about that. That was our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Virgin's Agenda. We have the entire interview, by the way. It's in the archives, uh, in my blog, as well as the pages of Block Talk Radio. But uh, we were discussing there, of course, the 60th anniversary of the, the I Have a Dream speech, uh, August uh, 1963, one of the great, great speeches and one of the great moments. And a great moment, of course, when Dr. King said that he wanted uh, to judge, he wanted his kids judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Um, you know, somehow that's missing a little bit today, particularly in the Democrat Party. Well, on Tuesday, we had a little commentary about the events. Let's listen to that uh, right now. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Tuesday, August the 29th. And welcome to our commentary. Just a quick heads up. We have uh, several interviews that we did here the last three or four days, some videos. Uh, we interviewed uh, Comandante Casorla, down in Venezuela, if you want to get a sense of what's happening down there, very interesting conversation. Then, of course, on Sunday, we did our check with uh, George Rodriguez uh, about Texas and the situation on the border. And on Monday, the Week in Review with our friend uh, Bill Katz, uh, the editor of Urgent Agenda. So that's available there in the archives. 
if you want to check those out. It's the last three before uh, before this one. Just a quick note, because this is starting to gain attention here in Texas, and that's the, the, the impeachment trial of the Attorney General Paxton. As you probably know, the Attorney General was impeached uh, a few months ago, and now it's moving into the trial where the state Senate will be the jury. And that's going to be a big topic here for the next uh, few weeks. So we'll get into more of that. We'll get into more of that when we speak with George, and we may actually have some other some other guests as well on that topic. But it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the actual trial. The impeachment, of course, is the first part, that those are the accusations. But now comes the actual trial. And given the composition of the Senate, 19 Republicans, 13, or 19 Republicans, 12 Democrats, something like that, I think you have to favor Paxton surviving. But I think there's another factor here, too, and that is that the question I think a lot of these senators have to ask themselves is, do we have enough information here? Do we have enough bad information here to reverse an election? Because that's what they're going to be doing. They're going to be reversing the election from last November, where the attorney general picked up, as I recall, 55, 54% of the popular vote. He had a huge night, uh, a huge, re huge re-election. So are the state senators going to overturn that election? Um, my guess is that they won't go quite that far. My guess is that he will survive. But again, that's all based on the information we have today. New information could come out uh, during the trial that could change completely what I just said. But it's going to be the number one story here in Texas over the next uh, three to four weeks. And we will definitely talk about it as we get, uh, as we get close to, to that story, which I believe it starts uh, in, in a couple of days. So it's going to be running all throughout September right after, right after Labor Day. I have a post over at the American Thinker today, uh, Tuesday, and the name of the post is The Ugly, The, the Bad, The Ugly, and, uh, and The Gas Pump, where I'm talking about the impact that gasoline is having on our economy. You know, I've said it before many times, the biggest driver of inflation is gasoline prices. If you really want to ask yourself the question, is inflation over? or is more inflation coming, take a look at the gasoline prices. Because in the, the gasoline prices will drive a lot of other prices with it. Obviously, if you buy food, if you go shopping, if you drive your car, if you go on a vacation, if you fly your plane, whatever you do, you're going to be consuming some type of product related to petroleum. And that means that the more gasoline goes up, the more expensive a lot of other things are going to get. And yes, the, the price of food, and all of that. So gasoline prices, I have always felt gasoline prices, that's the key to understanding whether or not the inflation cycle is behind us or not. Now, based on the remarks from the Fed chairman, Mr. Powell, I don't think he's too convinced that the inflation is out of our system. Uh, he's not perhaps going to raise interest rates. They've done a lot of that already. But if you look at the mortgage business, if you look at the the housing construction business and so on. Overall, that business is being impacted considerably. Also, I read that uh, the, the delinquency rates for credit cards and the delinquency rates for automobile loans are going up. Again, those are signs of inflation eating up too much of your budget. You know, the family budget is so much 
And if gasoline goes up, food goes up, something has to give. And that, I think, explains uh, the problems with uh, the automobile loan delinquencies uh, going up as well as the credit card delinquencies. So I, I, you know, I'm not saying we're going to have a depression. We may not even have a recession, uh, or at least a very mild one if we have one. But clearly, the inflation is with us, going to be with us for a while. And the key to confronting the inflation, the key to really breaking the back of inflation, in my opinion, is to increase oil production to such an extent that we are flooding the market with oil, as we did during the Trump administration. And that's how you get the prices down. Bring gasoline down to a couple of dollars a gallon, as it was when President Trump left office, bring gasoline down to a couple of dollars a gallon, and you're going to see the inflation come out of the system so fast, because I do believe the gasoline prices are the driver, the chief driver of, uh, of inflation. This next story is one that just absolutely, I find it overwhelming. Vice President Biden, Joe Biden, this is when he was vice president, I should say, he was communicating with his son using three different names and apparently thousands of emails that they've been able to identify. So here you have a vice president of the United States connecting with his son on a some kind of a fake name email. And why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? What is he hiding? I mean, the only, the only time that you would use a, a fake name uh, is when you don't want people to know who you are, obviously. And so this is, I think, a huge story. I think that, you know, at the beginning of all of this, I was a little cautious with the Hunter Biden story because I really didn't know what to make of it. But you keep seeing evidence here. You've got bank accounts. You've got conversation meetings. And now you've got the vice president of the United States sending out thousands of emails with different names. What, what's he hiding? You know, what is he hiding? Well, I think they're hiding something. And I believe, I believe very strongly that before the end of the year that this is going to explode. This whole Hunter Biden thing is going to explode. And it's not going to be pretty. Not going to be pretty for President Biden uh, when it does because there's so much money involved here that it's going to be, in my opinion, very difficult to uh, to somehow separate yourself from all these businesses that your son was doing using your name. There's something going on, and, and I, I just think that, I don't know, my gut feeling tells me there are some big explosive days coming uh, here for President Biden before the end uh, of the end of the year, which is why I continue to believe that he's not running for re-election, not running for re-election. Um, for one thing, his age, but also these problems are not going to get easier for him. Now, there's a couple of polls that came out today showing that President Trump is actually gaining on President Biden in the rematch, if there is a rematch. I don't think there is going to be one, but if there is a rematch, uh, that President Trump right now is leading. I saw some polls uh, today over at Twitter that he is leading uh, President uh, Biden. I think there's a couple of things going on that are hurting the Democrats here. The first one is that more and more people, and I get this feeling, you can just read it, in the opinion pages or when you talk to people, more and more people are beginning to sense that what the Democrats are doing to President Trump, all these indictments and so on, that it's maybe a bit of overkill, that maybe they're going too far with it, 
that maybe it's like too much Trump hate and not enough of anything else. I think a lot of people are starting to say this just doesn't smell good. I mean, at least half of the country feels that way. And if you're not going to get any Republicans to to uh, go after Trump, then your attacks are, are not going to work. So that's the first thing. I think a lot of people are beginning to realize that maybe, maybe these attacks are a bit over the top. I mean, this Georgia indictment is a joke. I mean, it's, it's full of generalities uh, with respect to the President Trump. I think the other factor, and this is more important, that's helping President Trump, is that his presidency looks more and more successful every day in comparison to President Biden. I mean, if you're a middle-class family, you were better off under Trump. No question about it. You were better off under Trump if you were a middle-class family. So, you know, when you combine those two things, a sense of comparison that favors President Trump and a sense of overkill that hurts the Democrats, I think that's the reason why you're seeing President Trump doing well in these polls. And I don't see anything in the horizon that is going to change that trajectory. I, I think that he will continue to improve as more and more Americans realize what uh, what is being done here to uh, to him by uh, these attacks. You know, if you go back to this day in history, 2005, and I remember this one quite well because it happened nearby. I'm talking about Katrina, the day that Katrina hit the city of New Orleans. And I'm sure all of you remember the flooding and the chaotic situation in the city of New Orleans. President Trump was, I mean, President Bush back then was criticized, and I thought completely unfair by uh, people who were trying to make it all about race or the fact that President Bush didn't do enough. In fact, the failure was in the local government for not having prepared the city. Uh, and once those levies broke, I mean, there was nothing anybody could do anyway. And uh, later on, you know, New Orleans was rebuilt. And the city is obviously a lot stronger now. But back in 2005, there was a lot of exaggeration regarding Katrina, a lot of exaggeration, a lot of things that were said that turned out to be false, including those, you know, allegations that 10,000 people had been killed or something. A lot of bad press, I would argue, a lot of exaggerated press that came out of, out of Katrina. And a lot of it was just the, the fact that they wanted to bring President Bush down. It, I mean, pres, yeah, President Bush uh, back then, they wanted to bring him down. And it did work. It did work. It dropped his approvals. And there's no question that uh, Katrina ended up hurting President Bush, even though he did a pretty good job. And uh, the city of New Orleans was making able to make a great comeback from it. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, Texas. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody. The next one is from Wednesday, our commentary on Wednesday. And again, all of these uh, commentaries are available on the blog or the Blog Talk Radio uh, archives page. So we move now to Wednesday and uh, our next commentary. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Wednesday, August the 30th. And welcome to our commentary. Just a quick uh, note here. There's a great article. Uh, today, a great column, I should say, in today's Dallas Morning News, written by a fellow named Cole Lyle, L-Y-L-E, who, uh, from his background, he must be a national security expert. 
And he wrote a column about Afghanistan. You know, it was exactly two years ago this week that this terrible debacle of Afghanistan happened. It wasn't just the fact that we lost 14, you know, brave Marines there at the gate at the airport. That was terrible, of course. But the real problem is the national security damage and the insult to our reputation as a world leader, the way that uh, the Biden administration handled that withdrawal from from Afghanistan. Look, people wanted to get out, I understand, but there are far better ways of getting out than the way that that we did. I, I for one, always favored leaving 2,000, 3,000 soldiers, not in combat, but in a, in a protective uh, way, in a sense, an insurance policy, because, you know, Afghanistan, after all, is pretty important territory. You know, you've got China, you've got Pakistan, you've got India around that area. So having a few thousand troops and a few planes in Afghanistan, I think, would have served our, our national interest. But the way we got out was absolutely horrible. And this article that, as I said, is in the Dallas Morning News uh, today, Wednesday, August 30th edition, really calls for somebody to be held accountable for what happened in Afghanistan. And someone should be held accountable. Either the Secretary of Defense, obviously President Biden, made the ultimate call. But the Secretary of Defense, uh, somebody, needs to be held accountable for the way we left uh, that country two years ago and the horrible damage that it's done to... Uh, the reputation of the United States. You just don't pack up and leave that way. You just don't. There were other ways of doing it. And this, you know, people say that this was the beginning in many ways of the end of the Biden presidency, that ever since Afghanistan, uh, he's never been able to recover. And I think that's true. He's never been able to recover because that was such a blow to his reputation. Remember, we were told he was the wise old man who understood foreign policy and all of that kind of stuff. Well, it turned out he didn't. I mean, he'd been there a long time, but that doesn't mean he picked up anything. And that's what we learned in Afghanistan. So we're still waiting. We're still waiting for somebody to be held accountable for what happened in Afghanistan. We're still waiting. We're still waiting. Hopefully, Congress can get to it uh, uh, eventually, eventually. Another quick note uh, you may have seen in the news that uh, Senator McConnell, Mitch McConnell, apparently had one of those moments again today where he froze. And it was pretty scary. This is the second time that he's been through that. He was holding a press conference, and then all of a sudden, he just kind of froze. And one of his uh, Senate assistants came over and and tried to take care of him. But look, he's probably a sick man, or at least uh, maybe should consider resignation. Because when you're in that condition, maybe it's better to, you know, go home and let uh, somebody else, somebody else, uh, you know, take care of your of your place. I mean, that that was not nice. What we saw on the tele, on the TV today regarding Mitch uh, Mitch McConnell not not a good feeling at all to see a man uh, struggling like that. Uh, of course, he's minority leader uh, Mitch McConnell. Actually, he's been a pretty consequential uh, leader in the Senate. I mean, he's responsible for those three judges in the Supreme Court. He's responsible for that, and we got to give him a lot of credit uh, for doing that. So. Senator McConnell, I think it's time to move on. And, you know, you've had a great career. Time to move on and let somebody else uh, step into your into your shoes. I have a.
Well, this is uh, Silvio Canta looking back at some of the commentaries of the past week. We've got one more, uh, the one on Thursday. But I just I do want to remind all of you that uh, these uh, uh, these commentaries you can hear them in full individually on my blog. Simply look up uh, Wednesday's podcast, Tuesday's podcast, whatever whatever it may be. Or you can always hear them, of course, on on Blog Talk Radio. So we got one more. And this is uh, from Thursday of this uh, past week. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Thursday, August the 31st. Last day of August. This year is coming down, uh, coming down fast. Uh, you know, doesn't it seem like just yesterday that we were doing conventions and having another election? Time does fly, doesn't it? Time really does does fly it'll be september 1st tomorrow and then what happens in september i don't know but i'm going to make a prediction that i believe september is not a is not going to be a good month for uh for president uh, biden i i think the 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 story with hunter is going to start taking on some real force in uh in september we'll certainly keep an eye on that uh on that story you know if you've been watching the news lately you've seen a lot more of these battles between, let's say, citizens and criminals, uh, people walk into a store and they try to steal, and they get into a fight uh, with the owner of the store. We saw that, I believe, in, in New York where somebody broke into a bodega and a couple of guys went after him and beat him up pretty badly. And we've seen it uh, in other places. I mean, ideally, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing because you don't want that kind of situation in your society. But when you live in these communities where the poor police, their hands are tied, they can't do anything. They arrest somebody on Monday, on Wednesday, that person is back in the streets because of these ridiculous uh, district attorneys. Then I think you can expect citizens to do more of this. I think you can expect citizens uh, to protect themselves more. And they will. Again, it's not the best situation uh, the best situation in the world, but it is, it is uh, what happens when law and order breaks down. I have a post over at the American Thinker Thursday morning about the border, where I, I guess I'm, I was trying to be a little funny with the title. I was trying to say, you know, who who knew that terrorists would try to cross the border? Well, yes, if you have an open border. If you have a border without restrictions and you overwhelm the border patrol with all kinds of activities, then yes, you're creating an opportunity for people to come into the country. Not only drugs, not only migrants, but more dangerous than that, uh, terrorists. And I saw that they captured some the other day and who knows how many get away. But this is this is what the real failure is. When you have an open border like this, you're inviting a lot of people to try to get through, and some of these people do not have, do not have our our best uh, intentions as a country. And this is why you have to have order on the border. You have to have restrictions. You have to follow a certain procedure if you want to come to the United States. But this, you know, come right in, come right in. You know, tell me that you want asylum, and we'll give you a ticket for for a future court date. That's a disaster, as we're seeing uh, as we're seeing across. Uh, the country right now. Speaking of open borders and and disasters, did you hear that the L.A. Los Angeles City Council is planning to sue the state of Texas over these buses 
and these people who are who are going over there or that the governor or that we're sending over there I should say what governor Abbott started doing of course is sending buses of migrants to sanctuary cities LA being a sanctuary city in fact they recently uh, doubled down on the fact that they were a sanctuary city so they're sending buses in that direction they don't like it in Los Angeles and they don't like it because obviously they don't have the money right now they don't have the resources no different by the way than the situation down in South Texas with uh, cities on on the border overwhelmed by these people you know I was listening to an interview with a police chief down in in one of the little towns on on the border and he was saying that he spent his entire budget in the first three months because of all of the extra work and extra time that his men were doing in the police force. Well, that's what's happening on the south side of, or, or you know, in on the southern side of Texas, they're on the border also probably in Arizona. You don't hear as much about Arizona because the governor there is a Democrat who is also another believer in open borders. But the reality is that these people now, the problem is going to many of these cities and they're now facing the economic consequences of all of this. New York City, the same thing. It costs money to bring these people in. You have to give them jobs. You have to take care of them. They have children. Children have to go to school. Where are they going to go? Not only do the children have to go to school, but they don't speak English. So you have to provide extra teachers who speak Spanish. And many of these school districts, and many of these school districts are already cash strapped because of the economy. In, in the state of New York or the situation in California. So it's, it's, it is what it is, but the truth is the city of LA should look at itself in the mirror because they're the ones who made this happen. They're the ones who, uh, you know, instead of threatening Texas to suit, suit Texas, uh, they, they, should be, uh, they should be looking at themselves because they're the ones who invited these people and now they're gonna have to deal, now they're gonna have to deal with it. Speaking of Texas, as you probably know, there is going to be a Senate election in 2024. Uh, as of now, Senator Cruz is running for re-election. He's got two uh, potential opponents. Uh, one is Senator Gutierrez, who's a state senator from Uvalde, the Uvalde area of Texas. Uvalde is the district where they had that terrible shooting at the school. And the other is a Congressman Allred, who is a Congressman in Dallas, in the Dallas area, Democrat. And one of these two men will likely be the, the candidate that Senator Cruz is gonna be running against. All the odds, of course, are in favor of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Senator Cruz. I mean, clearly, clearly Senator Cruz is gonna be the favorite to be reelected. But these two other candidates are pretty good campaigners, particularly uh, Congressman Albright. He's a pretty good campaigner. He's going to be somebody who will go out there and try to present himself as a moderate. And he is very telegenic. He's a former uh, football player. You know, he comes across very well. But, you know, when you look at his voting record, there's nothing really moderate about it. He's voted with Nancy Pelosi almost 99% of the time. So that's what the Cruz campaign has to do. Whoever wins this, they're going to have to borrow a page from uh, Governor Abbott's campaign, and that is, you got to, you know, you got to paint your picture here. You got to let the voters know who you're running against. And I think that the Cruz campaign knows that now. 
from the last time they ran against uh, Beto O'Rourke. I think they're better prepared. So we'll keep an eye on this race. As I say, now, we won't know who he's running against until they have the primary. And both men, you know, I think are going to put up a pretty good primary. So we will see. We will see who he runs against. But I think clearly the favorite for re-election at the moment has to be has to be Senator Cruz. Well, President Biden yesterday uh, or the day before was somewhere and he was talking about, oh, I think it was at a speaking about civil rights. And I think the shooting of these three uh, black uh, citizens down in Florida by this crazy uh, right wing racist uh, shooter. And they were down there. He was at least speaking down there or speaking at a meeting about this. And then he referred to the time that he persuaded Strong Thurman to vote for the Civil Rights Act. The problem with that uh, point is that uh, when Strong Thurman was uh, campaigning against the Civil Rights Act, that was 1964. And Joe Biden didn't get elected to the Senate until 1972. So that's an eight-year eight year difference. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, the White House came back later and said, well, he didn't mean that one. He was talking about another, another civil rights bill or something or some other civil rights legislation in the 1980s where uh, he persuaded Strong Thurmond to vote one way or the other. The problem with President Biden is that this is becoming a habit. Every time he goes somewhere, he somehow invents a story. He, you know, uses his imagination to promote one story or another. We saw this in Hawaii when he's out there talking to people who've lost uh, their property with like a thousand people missing, a hundred people dead. And instead of just saying, look, I'm sorry what happened to you. I'm here from the federal government to see what we can do to help you. Our sympathies with you. We are here to support you 100%. Instead of doing that, he goes off on this story about how he understands what they just went through because he had a fire in his house. Well, the fire in his house, based on press reports, was nothing. It was just a little fire. The fireman came. It was probably more of an insurance claim than anything else. But he does this all the time. And that's why it's becoming more and more difficult to, to believe that this is just a, uh, you know, a guy who's not you know, who's not reading from the teleprompter. I think he has this tendency that everywhere he goes, he has whatever, wherever he goes to, he's got to come up with a story that sort of relates to the people who are there. Now, other politicians have done that. Reagan was fabulous at telling stories, but Reagan was not making up stories. He was telling stories. Often he would relate his own story or very often he would, you know, use uh, some other story or uh, something out of the Bible or out of a book or whatever to relate a story. But Biden keeps putting himself in the middle of the tragedy with things like this. And I think that, you know, it's really a sign of a man who's either very dishonest or a man who's lost it. And, you know, I cannot tell you which one it is. Uh, I'm kind of inclined to think that it's more dishonest. But my goodness, what a what a what a storyteller and what a nasty storyteller President uh, Biden has uh, has become on this day well there you have it uh, some bits and pieces uh, during the week as i said you can always hear the entire commentary by going to blog talk radio or by going to the blog 
but uh, we gave you some bits and pieces during the week, some partial uh, commentary, so that uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to all of them, uh, you have a chance. Uh, you have a chance right now. Happy Labor Day! I hope that everybody enjoys the day. We will have our our Sunday night conversation with George Rodriguez, and then we will have our Monday conversation with Bill Katz, the editor of uh, Urgent Agenda. So enjoy your weekend. Get yourself a lot of food. Go swimming. Get summer out of your system because it's over pretty pretty much after after Labor Day. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and uh, have a great day. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas. Thank you.